0: Please turn with me now to the book of Jude, the book of Jude. The book of Jude, in a moment we're going to be reading from the first seven verses, specifically focusing on verse seven, which looks at the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Warnings, big warnings at first, can often be very scary or bring anxiety in us when we first hear them. Isn't that true? When we first hear of some something scary happening in the past that has big impact on us at first. But what happens when we hear that same warning over and over again? Does it have that same impact as it once had? Often we can become numb to such warnings. Now, that's not always bad. We cannot live in a perpetual state of fear, can we? It's often good when we turn on the media and it's often scary story after scary story. It doesn't have the same impact on us over time and thankfully, so we, we hear of certain things that may be exaggerated and perhaps things that prove not to be true. And so eventually we, t- we tune out those warnings that we hear in the world time and time again because we think, well, that's probably exaggerated or they're probably making too much of it. The world is still spinning and we're still here and everything seems To be fine. But what happens when that attitude starts to come into the warnings of Scripture, where the warnings are never exaggerated and are always proven to be right? And that is the danger, and that is a dangerous place to come into, dear friends, to be numb to the warnings of Scripture. Which have never been proven to be false. And this morning, as we read through this passage, we're going to be focusing on one specific example from history Sodom and Gomorrah. Something that happened thousands of years ago, but still is remembered through the history of time as a scary event that left lasting impact. On the world, a warning to all the world of the dangers of rebelling against God. It is the warning of Sodom and Gomorrah. And dear friends, it's a little bit more than that, it's the warning of hell. For what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah was a mere taste of the wrath to come. So let us read now from Jude verses 1 to 7. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once For all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth. As an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And may God bless his holy and infallible word. If you ever went around much of the world and you asked them what did they know about Sodom and Gomorrah, most of the world knows about this example, don't they? They may misunderstand it they may pretend it never happened they may say it's a mere bible story but so many people around the world know of this example they know it was in some sense the judgment of god upon sinners and we can many people around the world will also say the same thing about the flood again many will misunderstand it many will say that it's the myth of christians but it still strikes a degree of fear into the world. The world doesn't want it to be true. The world wants to pretend these things never happened. And this is the thing that makes the example of Solomon Gomorrah so powerful, even to this very day. It is known virtually among most, if not all, a large-scale warning to the whole world. World of the dangers of sin and the dangers of rebellion and the ugliness of it all. Now in this letter that Jude writes, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. He's also the half-brother, or he's the brother of James, it says in the beginning of this. He writes this letter not just to one church, but to the churches in general. And there's a problem that has arisen in the church In the church generally, which is this, certain men have come in, ungodly men, who have crept in unnoticed. Now it's unnoticed to the churches, but Jude notices this. Now the weight of the seriousness of the situation that Jude is talking about here in this letter is very much seen by the fact that Jude would much rather be talking about something else He says in verse 3, while I was very diligent to write to you, literally he was kind of trying with everything he had to write about concerning our common salvation. In other words, he very much wanted to be talking about the positive stuff. The things that we share one with another. The common blessings we have in Jesus Christ. But Jude also says this, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. I found it necessary. There was a compulsion. There was duty bound upon Jude to tell them of this truth, of the situation which had been warned about by Peter in his second letter, of these certain men who creep in, This is all to say, Jude would rather be talking about something else, but out of duty, out of love. He is compelled to warn them of the dangers of following these specific men. In other words, this is not Jude's hobby horse. This is not something that Jude wants to talk about. Beloved, while I give... Very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Now, in warning them, he gives three examples. Verses 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to be looking at verse 7 specifically. But the first example he says in verse 5, By this I want to remind you. By this I want to remind you. And this is something we do ourselves, isn't it? We tell people the thing that they know to impress upon them the dangers of something. If you're talking to somebody about the evils of abortion, we will impress upon something that they know already to be true, that it is wrong to kill a human life. And in verse 5, he brings up the example of how everyone who was brought out of Egypt, not every one of them, were truly born again. Many of them were destroyed in the wilderness. Many of them were perished in the wilderness. In verse 6, It gives the example of angels that even these mighty beings did not escape the consequences of departing from their holy responsibilities. And in their rebellion, there was also judgment for them. That brings us now to verse 7. Verse 7, today's, this morning's message. Sodom and Gomorrah. Which is very much the warning of hell. If Jude is basically saying to them. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. And the dangers of following in this example. Of feeding your lusts. And going in this direction. Because very much dear friends. This is a, a foretaste. A mere taste of hell to come. The first point we're going to be looking at here this morning. Is the service of sin. The service of of sin. It's important to realize as we read this verse, once again, verse 7, we all serve something or someone. Something or someone. We're all worshiping creatures, every single last one of us. It's how we've been made. We will either worship the true God or we will worship and serve God. Verse 7 says this, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. They have, in the past, they have given themselves over. In this past here, given themselves over in the original language, there's a sense of, It's been done in the past, but it's been done in an ongoing way. It's not just something that has been done one time. This is not just something that they slipped into once and didn't repeat. This very much defined them. It was attributed to them. This is who they were. This was not some one-off sin, and this sin described them. They indulged in it and they gave themselves over to it. So much so that they were known for it. They were infamous for it. And it is the fruit, dear friends, of no control. It is the fruit, dear friends, of no boundaries. And it was very much the teaching, you could say, of these certain men who crept in unnoticed that they were teaching no boundaries, Grace was a license to sin. This was the teaching in verse 4. It talks about who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God. They turned it into license. They turned it into, well, God approves of all that we do because we're under grace. There was no restraint. No, it was licensed to do whatever they wanted to do. And we don't have to go far to imagine what a world will look like with no restraints, with no boundaries, with no set parameters of what is right and wrong, because all you have to do is turn on the media for more than five minutes. And you see it all around you. We even see it invading into many of our schools and other institutions. The internet, living without moral restraint. And basically, the law today is this do what you want. That is the law today. Do what you want with no fences. Can you imagine what would happen if you had cattle or sheep and there's no fences to keep them in? So just let them roam wherever they want to roam. What would happen? They would go everywhere and anywhere. They would go wherever the grass seemed the greenest at any time. Perhaps they would fall into the ditch. But it would not end well. To live without boundaries is to serve sin. This is what these certain men who crept in were really teaching. And here's the danger of it. Sodom and Gomorrah is very much no boundaries. Do whatever you want. Feed your own lusts. To be Essentially, a servant of sin, a servant of self, and also a servant of the devil. Now, this morning, that might sound extremely shocking to you here this morning. You may think in your heart, well, I don't serve God, but I certainly don't serve the devil. Oh, that's... There's two options, friend. Either we serve God and his righteousness or we serve the devil. Much of the world does not consider this. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and consider that he's speaking to a religious people, a very religious people. He says this to them in John chapter 8 verses 41 to 44. You do the deeds of your father Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. And listen to what he says here in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And this must have been incredibly shocking for them to hear. No, no, Abraham's our father. God is our one God, they would have said. But he says no. They rejected Christ. So it was very, very clear that they were of their father, the devil. Essentially, serving yourself is what the devil wants you to do. Because the devil is really teaching no boundaries. A service of sin. And whenever we think, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, that is what the devil wants us to do. Rather than thinking, what does God, what does God want me to do? We serve Christ as believers in Jesus Christ, however imperfectly. We are sinners, but we serve Christ. It is too easy, dear friend, to say, we may look at this verse and say, I don't serve the sin, this particular sin being mentioned in Sodom and Gomorrah. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, or perhaps you do not, but do you serve sin? Or do you seek to follow the law of God? And if you seek to follow the law of God, you, you delight in it. You meditate upon it. There's two possibilities: a heart of stone or a heart of flesh. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged, not, yes, their sin was particularly heinous, but it was because of sin. It was because of their service to sin. And that sin went into a horrendous direction. So that's going to bring us on to our next point now, number two, the seriousness of sin. Number two, the seriousness of sin. But as we're looking at the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, we need to look at why their sin was so bad. What was so serious about it. Now, all sin is serious. The least sin possible is enough to condemn anyone to hell for eternity. Why? Because of the one whom it is against. The one of infinite value. The infinite God. God is good. God is love. God is holy. And to rebel against his authority, to rebel against him, is treason. Spiritual treason. To fight against him brings death. Sin is ugly. There's a sense in which, when you're reading to Genesis and you get to Genesis 19, and I think we all have this unpleasantness, almost squeamishness when we're reading through it, and we should. It is shocking what happened. But that is Sin. Sin is ugly. Sin is horrendous. And sin goes into very, very nasty places when there's no boundaries at all. It says here that they went, they gone after strange flesh or basically that which was against nature. We know from nature all around us what is natural and they rejected this. They fought against us. And we see examples of this today, don't we? And look, dear friends, our hearts should be... We should feel pity for these people who are involved in lifestyles that reject the light of nature. Whatever form that takes, whether that be trans or whether that be whatever it is, pray for those people that they would be set free from that slavery to sin, but for the grace of God, we would too be slaves of sin. But there's the example here of sin, this example that's been set forth for history. If you read history books, what, what's going to be put in the history books? Big moments. Then Generally, if you read a history book and they tell you every detail, it gets kind of boring after a while. You want the big events. You want the big serious events. You know, it, The history of this century will most likely be written about. Uh, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II's death will be most likely be spoken about a lot. Because her reign shaped much of the last 70 years. It's historic. It's big. I think many people don't realize it until she left, until she went, until she died. She's the longest reigning monarch in British history. But when we're looking at history books, we also look at the bad times, don't we, as well? Things to never repeat. If you're reading through the history of the last hundred years, you'll come across things like the Nazi Holocaust. Things they remind you of the dangers of tyrannical power. We are reminded in history of examples of the best and the worst. And here we see one of the worst in our text. We're not told everything that went on in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're told very generally. And even that is hard for us to hear. They served their lusts. Their unnatural lusts. Lusts against nature. And they became to the point where it was abusive. And they would not take no for an answer. It's a scary place to get to. They wanted what they wanted. And they would not take no for an answer. A sin so obvious to our consciences. We've been created in the image of God. And that law has been imprinted in our hearts. Yes, we suppress the truth and the righteousness, but we have a conscience as human beings created in the image of God. A sin so obvious from nature. Look at nature all around you see. Male and female relationships are the norm across every species. It's how we've been designed. I say even this to point out this. Even without a Bible... The things that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah were clearly evidently evil and against the God of heaven and earth. And how can I say that in in matter of fact, that they had no excuse? We might think, well, they didn't have a Bible perhaps or something like that. Well, it says, Paul wrote this in Romans 1 verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, or Godhead or divinity, so that they are without excuse. Paul is saying here from creation they could see the goodness, the wisdom, the power of God in what he had made. And so that they are without excuse. The light of nature. And the actively fight against us. So this is the seriousness of sin. The ugliness of sin. Number three now, the sentence for sinners. The sentence for sinners. So we see a serious example. A serious example from history. Do we also see a serious sentence for this serious sin? Now often we hear in the news of things that make us, you'll hear some, Case of something that might make you very angry, and you hope that the judge will pass a heavy sentence against an evil crime. And then if a small sentence you think it should be life, and it was really three years we were given to the person, and then you say, Why was the penalty so short? You'd be angry, wouldn't you? Oh, that's ridiculous. Why did they do that? but our god is not like human judges he is just he's not like us creatures we have to realize he is the creator the infinite one we are all limited in terms of wisdom and knowledge our god is not and he's also not a sinner he is holy Holy, holy. It says again in our text, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example. Are set forth as an example. Now, the, this idea here of being set forth as an example, this is speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, and not just Sodom and Gomorrah, there's also other cities around them which had a similar judgment as well, that are also spoken about in various parts of the scriptures. But the idea here is this, being put on public display, being put on public display or exposed to public view. Here is a public warning to all, to all. All who will throw off restraint, all who will follow their own lusts all who reject the light of scripture and who reject the light of nature. All who serve their own lust and will not take no for an answer. This is kind of what was happening, taking place even within churches. One dictionary describes this word in the original language, set forth as lie before or be on public display. And it's used when There was dead bodies exposed to view outside of a city. You might have read about this in history. You know, a a conquering uh, uh, empire would come in, take the city, and those who fought against the city were often placed outside the city to warn all those who would dare come and challenge the might of that empire. And it would strike fear into people. It would put it on public display all around that city. Sodom serves till this day as such a warning. A warning to future generations of what it means and where it will lead to if we follow our lusts rather than following God. A warning taste of hell as Christians as believers in Jesus Christ we have tastes of the joy to come here in this world but dear friends there's also moments where God warning the people warning us all of the wrath to come he shows us tastes of his wrath So what was the sentence? So we've talked about judges and we've talked about sentencing, but what sentence was given for this example? It says here, set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the sentence here is eternal fire. Literally, in the original, it could be translated this way, fire eternal Penalty, suffering. The word "penalty" it could be also translated rather than vengeance. This is the penalty for this crime. Now, what they'd given themselves over to in the past, they'd given themselves over to various things that defined them, and gone after strange flesh. This is something in the past that was ongoing. There's another thing ongoing in this verse. But it's a present ongoing. A present ongoing. And what is it? It is this part suffering or enduring. Now, this is not a pleasant subject. It is not something we often like to consider. But, friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, what we have been f- freed from is incredible. It says in Genesis 19, verse 24, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, from the Lord out of the heavens. Now, this raining was but for a moment, wasn't it? Or for a period of time, and then it ended. Again, but a taste of the wrath to come. But it is now ongoing. And this ongoing suffering, it will not end. Now because of this, it's a terrifying doctrine, the doctrine of hell when we think about it. This has been the temptation of the church to change it over the centuries, hasn't it? To say that one day for some people it may end. and The temptation in the Roman Catholic Church is to think about purgatory and things like this. Things that are not taught in scripture. But this is an ongoing, eternal fire because it is against the eternal one now we all deserve this it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah I deserve it you deserve it, we all deserve it even if we haven't specifically gone into these specific sins spoken about outside of Christ we will serve our own We all deserve this. But God is God. He is the, uh, the great I am. And he will be who he is. And he is good. And he hates sin as a result. He is merciful and kind, isn't he? When we think about what we deserve, how merciful and kind is our God? When that sentence hangs over us for what we rightfully deserve... Now, as we think about this, we think of lost friends and neighbors, don't we? We think of those people we're witnessing to. It should, dear friends, give us a greater sense of urgency because we don't know how long we will be here. We don't know how long our friends and neighbors will be here. We don't know how many more opportunities we'll get to talk to them. And this does not mean we do it in an unloving fashion. God is in control. And if they're saved, it will be by God's hand. God may use you to reach your lost friends or family in your community. And wouldn't that be wonderful? We must realize that this is where all people go who are not trusting in Jesus Christ. Our final point now we're gonna look at number four is the satisfier for sinners. The satisfier for sinners. And you may be looking through this text and thinking, I am a sinner. We all deserve this. Is there any hope? And dear friends, there is hope. Because there is someone who has satisfied this wrath in our place. We must first begin with, we are sinners. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're all sinners. And if we don't see that, we don't have any hope. But if we see we're sinners and we flee to him, we must realize as well, God does not ignore sin. Every sin that has ever been committed will be punished. There will be a penalty. There will be a pouring out of wrath for every sin. So then you say, well, what hope do any of us have Well, dear friends, it's either been poured out upon Christ at the cross. Either he suffered in our place, or we will suffer in our own place. But that is for eternity. God is just, and he will punish every and all sin. His justice is never set aside. His holiness, his righteousness, his glory is never set aside. If he set aside his justice, his glory would be tarnished. And he would be an unjust judge. He must punish every and all sin. And that holy wrath must be appeased. It must be satisfied. It must be paid by someone. And it is by the one who satisfies that wrath. Isn't that wonderful dear friends? What he has freed us from. What he has endured for us If you hear of a dear friend who has suffered much for you, gone through much for you, done much for you, you're so grateful for them, aren't you? Dear friend, we we will never have a closer friend than this, than Jesus, who took our hell, who drank down every single drop of this wrath, and so that now, in Christ, there's no more possibility for any wrath. Because it has been satisfied already. The Lord will not punish twice. Isn't that wonderful? It has been satisfied in Christ. If we look to him with the eye of faith. If we're looking to Jesus Christ. And to Jesus Christ alone. Justice satisfied. And that is why he could say at the cross. It is finished. See dear friends. As we look at the wrath of God. It should make us be more thankful for the mercy of God. For the generosity of God. For the goodness of God. In providing one who satisfies that wrath in our place. It's just incredible. And it should leave us in awe. That Jesus would suffer this torment for us it is not a passage, dear friends, that we say, oh, we're in the church and look at those people out there being wicked. This is not what that, this passage is really about. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jude was warning churches with these examples. He was using examples of the wider church. He was using an example of angels in verse six. And now Sodom and Gomorrah to warn those within the church to not go on that path which is without boundaries. Which is without boundaries. Jesus satisfies that wrath that we all deserve. It says in Isaiah 53 verse 5, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. Dear friend, here this morning, has he taken away your hell that you deserve? Dear friend, this must be personal to you. It can't be, well, I've been coming to church my whole life. It can't be, my my mother and my father are believers. I come here because my grandmother would be very annoyed with me if I didn't come. It's got to be you and God. And if, and if you do not know him. This is but a taste of what awaits us all. If you see somebody you care about in a burning building. What will you do? Do you snatch them from the fire? Or do you leave them? And knowing of the reality of the wrath to come should make us more compassionate and loving toward our neighbor. Every opportunity we get, we may never have another one. Love them. Show them the the kindness of Christ. Show them how God has changed you. Point them towards the reason why you do such things. Christ is the one who has set you free. But perhaps you're here and you don't know him at all. God cannot ignore his justice. He cannot change who he is. He is glorious and he has no reason to change who he is. If you come to him through Jesus Christ, he will wash you. And he will do more than that. He will also clothe you in his righteousness. And the Lord of heaven and earth will delight in you because of Jesus Christ. Is there anything more wonderful than that? Is there anything on this world that could even come close to that? It's even at the end of this letter here in Jude. Verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Dear friends. He will in Christ Jesus present you faultless before God. We don't trust in our own works. We are sinners, but he has washed you. And when he presents you before the throne of grace, spotless, white, and radiant. Friends, if you've been justified, look forward to the future. There's glory to come. Amen.